everyone, and welcome to Minute 12 of Season 3 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast, where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action film, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Alan Sanders of The Wilder Ride. Welcome back to the show, Alan. Hey, buddy. Thanks so much for having me back. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be finally out of the elevator. Yeah, that's true. I, I you know, I, I, I miss talking to you over the last day, so, you know, it's, it's good to have you back. And we'll we'll have to see, you know, what happens through this, through, you know, now that we'll, we'll step out of the elevator and see what, what goes on in this strange, you know, in the, in the place where they're the only people in the building. You know, mm-hmm. so we'll have to wait and see. But first of all, I wanted to, I, I, I've thought a lot since yesterday when, when we were talking about, uh, you know, when does this movie take place? You know, is it taking place on Friday night, the 23rd? Is it taking place on Saturday night, the 24th? Is this Christmas Eve or not? So I did a little bit of research and I actually was uh had, had a little bit of a discussion with uh, my good friend jay who was on you know the the first week and you know i told him i said it's for sure the 23rd we had a little debate and and then he proved to me that it's that it's the 24th it is christmas eve you know so i i, I take off my hat you know take off my my yarmulke my kippa my uh, beanie whatever you want to call it you know that uh, however you all refer to it you know uh and uh, I, I give Jay and you, Alan, credit for, for being correct. It is Christmas Eve. There are two points in the movie where characters specifically say that this is Christmas Eve. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think the characters would make that mistake if it was Friday night as opposed to Saturday night. I mean, again, it's possible what you said that maybe this took place takes place in, in 87, but it, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is whether it takes place on Friday or Saturday, that doesn't make a difference. But the bottom line is it does take place on Christmas Eve. Holly mentions to Ellis in the first week that it is Christmas Eve. And later on in the in the, the movie, when we get uh, Gail Wallens giving her news report, she says uh, our top story is this Christmas Eve. So mm-hmm. there you go. I, I have been proven wrong, which I'm, I'm happy that I was proven wrong in the third week. So, you know, we'll have time to, to continue with the notion. I, I, I believed up until last week, I was, I, you know, when everyone can listen to my conversation with Tyler and how the two of us came to the conclusion that this was Friday night, but apparently that was wrong. Sorry, Tyler. We were both wrong. It actually is Christmas Eve. So let me, can I ask you a question? Cause we didn't really cover it yesterday, but I know I mentioned it because as we started the, the, the discussion, I said, I'm here to talk about my favorite Christmas film of all time. No, let's let's, had- let's keep that. Let's 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 keep that for later in the week. We'll we'll talk oh, about okay. that. We'll, we'll have that discussion later in the week. Okay. All right. you know, we'll, as long we'll, as you promise we'll to that. have it. I promise. I promise too. I, I get I in this promise. discussion every time, either on the radio, on other podcasts, whenever this subject comes up, and I will tell you. All right, all right. Right. Hold your hold your thoughts. We will we will get to it. Okay. On okay. on Friday we will talk about it. How's that? You know, even telling people oh, I'm, I'm teasing everybody. I'm teasing everybody that you have to come back on Friday if you want to hear Alan's thoughts on this subject. You know, and we'll we'll see. Okay. We'll have we'll have a discussion about it and we'll we'll figure that out. Look, right? you know what? My wife's gonna actually write to you off air saying, How did you do that? How did you take Alan and not only shut him up, but get him to promise not to talk about something he wants to talk about for a few days? Is, is she there? <laughs> No, she's oh okay. Ah, she's, not, she's not standing she's next to you, saying, uh, hearing that. Okay, she's gonna you, go. This is a million dollar bestseller. How did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's the 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 beauty of of talking about Die Hard. That's how I got you to to. That's how I'm getting you to shut up about a certain thing for four days. How's that? Or three days? Actually. True. 
So. True, because I want to come back. So yeah, 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 and I want you back. So that's good too. You know, as, as we discussed in the green room, it's it's not good to piss people off. You know, that's uh, <laughs> but that, that that goes that's a completely different discussion. Okay, so minute twelve begins with McLean uh, taking in the party and ends with uh, John walking up a flight of stairs towards an Oriental man who we whoever's seen the movie knows that is Takagi. So. The elevator doors opened yesterday at the end of yesterday's minute, and today they continue opening. And one of the things I love about this minute, there's very little dialogue. There's very little that happens. But the one thing that we get through this entire minute is we see McLean using his detective skills to look around and take it all in. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's no question about it. He's looking. He's, you know, he steps out of the elevator. You know, we, we, we get the idea that he's the perfect cop. Because he's he's using his intuition and suspicions, and he's he's trying to figure out what's going on. You know, we we also don't know what's going on from you know if we've never seen this before. Part of the whole thing, also, as we discussed, uh, I think it was last week when when he met Argo. Like, what was his original plan? You know, we'll never know. Was he planning on going to the Nakatomi Building anyway? Was he planning on going to the house and meeting Paulina? You know, like what? Nobody knows what his initial plans were. He didn't know that he was going to be picked up by a limo. That's true. That he did not know about that. I, I want to believe that he knew about the party, because I think we get the words "you got the invitation," but the ride was certainly a nice touch. Maybe sort of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Let's sort of make sure he gets to the building rather than t- leaving it on his own accord. I, it's a nice little po- thought. Uh, at least a thought exercise for us looking at the movie back because there is a riff between him and his wife. There is. Right. Well, that's, that's the thing I want to bring up. Also. Right. I want to bring but, that up. Also the whole idea that, okay, here's a couple that is having problems. Okay. They've been separated for, for six months. Okay. And you know, do they want to see each other? Do they not want to see each other? Stuff like that. You know, we, we're not really sure how either of them feel about this. Right. You know, completely. They, we, I mean, we know that, that they they both want to still give their their marriage a chance. But, you know, each of them wants to do it on their own terms. Exactly. And, and what I like about uh, – to finish my thought about looking back, the idea of – and we and Takagi will tell us later that, you know, do I have – you know, he says, do I have you to thank? He goes, of course. But I get the sense – Maybe this also was implied from his wife saying, well, maybe we could send a driver just to make sure he knows how to get here. Not with anything else besides that, but that makes me feel just a little bit like she hinted she's willing to give it a go if he is. But right. we don't get that right off the bat, and that's never even called out. But right. I like to think that that's why the limo was called in the first place. Okay, and that's something that also that we'll get to a little bit tomorrow when, when we actually meet Takagi and start talking to him so we can get into that then. But but one of the things also, I mean, I mentioned this last week, that in the original novel, it was the company's limo that came to pick him up. You know, Argyle, or the, the, the driver doesn't have a name in, in the novel, okay, but but he works for the company. It's it's Claxon Oil, right? So he he's a driver of, lim- of limousines for Claxon Oil, and he's being sent to go pick up John. So there's a big difference there as opposed to the way that it works in the movie where Argyle just seems like a random, you know, uh, limo driver. You know, they, they called up a limo company and said, all right, I want to hire a limo, you know, go over to the airport and pick up, uh, you know, John McClane or Jay McClane 
as it says, but mm-hmm. but on the card it, that that Argyle is holding up, it does have the symbol of Nakatomi. So maybe this is you know the limo company that they use all the time. So they have cards you know for Nakatomi. You know, I, I don't I don't really know. I mean, it's never we never get the impression that that Argyle actually works for Nakatomi. Right. I don't think so. And I think you're right. I think it feels more like it may be a, a they may use the same limo service repeatedly for VIPs. Right. But and they probably just... have cards already that, you know, have the symbol of Nakatomi. They're just write the name on there and, and have your driver go over and, and hold it up, you know, that type of thing. Or so, for, you know, I mean, while we're playing, what if it could be where the, the, they show up at the lobby and they say, okay, where's the, who are we picking up today? Here's the card for you to take to the airport, whatever it is. But yeah, right. I, I mean, that, I that would be less efficient. A, that would be less efficient if it's a company that they're using often. You know, why have them come to the Nakatomi building and then send them wherever they need to go as opposed to just sending them directly. But, but who cares? You're imposing logic and reason in a in an 80s capitalist society. Oh, come on. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You have to. You have to. 80s <laughs> consumerism? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Did I you notice, I, I, you know, at the very beginning, I totally agree with all of your assessment of he's very much doing a great job without overselling it of looking around like he he is playing the detective. But did you know when the doors open that they must have set dressed the lobby of the where the elevators are with all the tables because you can see the alternate el- elevators across the way? Yes. Yes, I did notice that. But there's nothing wrong with that, you know. So you see the other elevators. <laughs> no, I just think it's interesting that the party itself, most most businesses, the elevator is sort of isolated from where the doors are or entrances to the receptionist or where the rest of the business is. This looks like they've decided to spill entirely into even that foyer or that, that standing area for all of the elevators, which I never really noticed until we slowed it down one minute at a time. Right. Okay, there is there is something to that. <laughs> so he he's looking around. A, a waiter passes him by, and he takes a drink from the the, the waiter's tray, which uh, we we don't see yet what what type of drink it is. He has this this you know it's it's not like a tall champagne glass or anything like that. It looks like uh, a smaller you know paper cup or sorry plastic cup type of uh, drink. You know, we're not really sure at this point. We'll, we'll get to it a little bit later in in the the minute where we actually see it. And yeah, I think then, it's plastic, like clear plastic yeah, cup. Yeah, exactly, a clear clear plastic plastic cup. It, it could be glass. You never know. It depends. Again, you go back to your consumerism. You know, anything yes, possible. True. <laughs> no, I don't think it's glass. I think it is plastic. And, and and you're right. It's champagne. I got the sense of more of a holiday, maybe a punch or a cocktail. Right. It, it, We'll, we won't know from the movie, but maybe the script will tell us. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. There okay. you go. Another teaser. <laughs> <laughs> I love teasing you and everyone else. <laughs> and then, like, we, we get a shot of all of these 80s executives. You know, and you, you mentioned it a little bit yesterday, the, the, the way that they all, everyone looks so 80s here. You know, the hair, the clothes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we get this, we get like a pan of all a lot of these people, and it's just funny looking at the at some of them. I mean, some of them are seem like stereotypes from the '80s and these type of things. You have like the the tipsy girl 
who's trying to get her her boyfriend or whoever you know drunk also you know like she's giggling and trying to 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 actually get him to drink something mm-hmm. you know whatever it is and then we have like an executive that that starts laughing and and he's cleaning his mouth with with a uh you know with a handkerchief type of thing who knows what what he just was eating or whatever you know like everyone is in their conversations you know which, which what's funny is is that theoretically all these people work in nakatomi they all know each other you know so here it's just okay you know it's saturday night let's let everyone uh you know for for lack of a better term let their hair down and have fun at this this christmas party that that we're throwing yeah, while you mentioned hair down, you can notice part of the 80s. Look at all of the teased and hairsprayed hair for every one of the ladies. Even if they've got shorter hair, it's poofed, it's teased. It's the whole, like my wife used to say, with wings and the side where you would pull your hair out and put a bunch of aerosol and then dry it to keep it you know, stiff and, and as, as fat and as fluffy as you could do it. <laughs> and if you yeah, notice a lot I, of I never had that problem. That's <laughs> A lot of the women, in fact, almost everyone I see as we go through, if you want to slow it frame by frame, whether it's a a, a, a dress, a, a jacket, whatever it is, massive shoulder pads. Yes. Yeah. You can you can definitely see that the way that they're, they're all dressed there. But I, I love the way that they, they give us this panoramic view of of everything here, which which I think on the one hand, it's, you know, letting McLean see what's going on. But on the other hand, it's showing us what's here mm-hmm. you know on, on numerous levels first of all to give us the layout for later on as to you know how things here are going to play into the story itself you know you have like this this waterfall in the middle of the room which is is gorgeous but i don't think it's really effective to have in an office building um except for maybe if this is an executive suite and you want to create that ambiance especially if you're entertaining guests let's face it it's impression uh, and business is an important thing. And a lot of times that's why you'll have artwork or you'll have something like uh, some kind of a display of ostentatiousness to let clients go, Oh, wow, this, this company has got a lot of money. Maybe we want to do business with this company. So I don't imagine you see this on every floor. I get this being more of an executive, almost an executive suite area that's being used for the party, but you're right. Having an indoor waterfall where it cascades rain. (laughs) Yeah. It's a beautiful, yeah, but wow, that would be uh, that would be amazing to see on the thirtieth floor of any building. Yes, for sure. I, I wonder. I wonder I, if if it, if they really have that. And you didn't go up to the thirtieth floor when you were in the Fox Building. No, I did not. <laughs> uh, I will tell you, knowing knowing about this movie, this was a set. <laughs> but um, I do like the shot. I do like the camera work. The camera, and, and we will probably in any minutes that I'm on, I always appreciate how much the camera helps tell the story. Well, but the it, one it, shot, Jean Debant. So, yeah, you know. yeah, Jan Yeah, Jan, he, Jan um, Sorry, Jan, 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 um, Jan Which, of course, he'll go on to be his own director. But as director of photography, just the shot. We He's a much better the, DP than than director. I think so. Uh, the waterfall we see initially in the shot, but then we've got this nice little move where it closes in on three people. You've got the L.A. sunset with the purple and gold and orange colors, and the rain falling in front. It is. It's it's a, it's a stunning image. Yeah. To set up this of just the, with the, the with the businessman with two women around him. Yeah, you know, <laughs> trying trying to you know make sure he has a good uh, Christmas Eve. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's trying to he's trying to double his odds. 
Well, he's uh, got the one woman is like eye level with him. Like you can tell it looks like they're conversing. But then there's the woman who's probably let's make up the conversation. She's up on the a ledge of the windowsill, leaning against a pillar against the window, probably looking out on the skyline, just saying, just imagine what it looks like, almost like you're falling out of the building from this view. Yeah. Um, well, you still can just pretend you're Hans, Hans Gruber, you know, uh, an hour and a half from now, and you'll you'll just, know at that point what it's, it's just like. A little bit. Because <laughs> this, I think this is the floor he actually falls out of. So yeah. <laughs> well, and the, I'm gonna. I know I'm staying on this, but if anybody freezes it in this shot, it's such a well composed scene because you've got the greenery to the yeah. left corner, Predator. water cascade. Predator. Down. This is this is <laughs> this is uh, John McTiernan's. Uh, uh, homage to Predator. To Predator. Uh, because, but just, because maybe maybe this executive is meant to be a Predator. <laughs> I don't think, I, I wasn't going there. I was going more from a, from a <laughs> perspective of, paint, of painting a picture where you've got open sky in the upper right corner of the frame. You've got an earthy presence in the bottom left. And then your subjects are kind of not exactly dead center, but just off in one of the quadrants that your eye tends to gravitate toward. It's just, it's a beautifully composed shot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's no question about that. So, I mean, John's looking around, he sees the quartet playing their music. You know, we saw that during the the first week also when Takagi came out to to talk to the troops, you know, and so we we saw the quartet then also still, still playing Mm -hmm. their music. And then, uh, you know, McLean takes, takes the, the, the little bit of drink that he got that he got from the the waiter takes a sip you see him like wince and then uh you know so does that mean that it spiked does that mean that he just wasn't expecting it to taste the way that it does you know i'm i'm going to guess being somebody from new york going to california it was probably one of the a drink that might be a little more of a frou-frou drink that he wouldn't be used to and was expecting maybe he was probably expecting like a cranberry or maybe a wine or maybe even just a an alcoholic beverage, but this probably has something like I don't know myrrh in it or something or frankincense. I don't know. Just <laughs> look, look what we're doing to be Christmassy, and he just goes oh, and he just yeah. turns right around. And says, I'm about done with that. Yeah, completely. And then he, he looks around and and he looks pretty bored. You know, he's like, okay, what am I doing here? This is not a place where I need to be. Well, yeah. and costume design also sets him apart. Not only does he, he – he's the only one who's not having a, quote, good time, but he doesn't but look like he belongs there. Right, right, which which we'll get to tomorrow about that fact, you know. And, you know, he keeps walking walking around. We're not sure, again, what he's looking for. You know, maybe he's trying to find his wife or mm-hmm. find someone who would know who, where she is or whatever it is. And then he, he bumps into a, a woman. Who turns around? You can see that 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 she's uh, Oriental. Which later on, you know, once once we get more into what this company is or whatever, it makes a little more sense. Because at first you don't really know why she's there, you know, how she's connected to things, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But but in some ways it's foreshadowing. You know, we already know that the name of the company is Nakatomi. So maybe you know that 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 you know there are a lot of uh, foreigners, you know, that have been uh, uh, that have been brought in from the home the home you know, home base in Japan, you know, to work in this office. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh, by the way, one other detail uh, that just before that we were talking about the drink that I did want to point out again, it's another it's one of those storytelling things. He's still wearing his wedding ring. Yes, you see that prominently when he puts the drink. It makes me wonder: is the device of the drink really there to show he still is wearing his ring? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he in, in Die Hard 2, he plays a little more with the ring in order to to, to prove things. But but here, you're right. You can definitely see it. Mm-hmm. It's very true. And he actually, we, we hear him say to this woman that he bumps into, oh, I'm sorry. You know, he mm-hmm. quickly says it, doesn't really say it very loud or anything like that. And then he, he turns around and bumps into this this drunk guy who comes over <laughs> to him, gives him a big hug and, and kisses him on the cheek and goes, hey, Merry Christmas. And John's <laughs> response is, is Jesus. <laughs> California. You know, which, which Once again, he, he like says under his breath. Yeah. Beautiful detail matches my comment about, you know, he expected maybe a typical drink and got some kind of a frou-frou, weird tasting beverage. And then his next thing he runs into is a guy who's like, hey, Merry Christmas. Like, Jesus, California. Like, it's a comment <laughs> on how he's dressed, Northeast, no nonsense, every man cop versus all these folks in business suits and business executives all living on the on the far west coast. Right. And I mean he made the same com- comment in the airport when when he saw the you know the the scantily clad girl jumping up and greeting her boyfriend. He also said California. So it California. goes along with that. You know, he's basically saying, "All right, I'm I'm not I'm not in Kansas anymore." You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wonder some of it is and again, I think it comes through this is a nice little subtlety. Almost wondering if it's like a very subtle judgment from McLean's character on life in California, you know, he's he's very much con- conveying a sense of almost condescension or incredulous, yeah. almost like you can sense he's using that as an argument. Why would you, Holly, want to live there? Have you seen how those people behave? Do you see right. what they do? I mean, total strangers. Dude walked up and kissed me. Is this come on? This isn't where you want to be, is it? And that's not something so that would happen in New York. It's something that only can happen in California. You know, well, of course, but right. the character is conveying that almost like the judgment of what it is to live in California versus yes. where he's from. As if, once again, it's going to come down to, well, I'm right, you're wrong. You should be living with me in New York, not me living with you here. Right, exactly. Now, I mean, this 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 whole point that you just brought up reminds me of I, probably 30 years ago. I saw I was in someone's house and I saw they had this poster on the wall that that said the the New Yorker's view of America, and it had like a map of the U.S. And you see, like, New York is humongous, and California is humongous, and Florida is humongous, and then you have, like, a little thing in the middle that says the rest of the country. Stuff, that thing. You know, it's like there's there's the, the, the contrast between uh, New York and L.A., you know, which are mm-hmm. the two different they're, – they're, they're, they're very different places for different types of people. You know, Absolutely. even though we're not going to get into politics, but they're all Democrats, both here and there, you know, so – <laughs> right, but cu- culturally and because of weather, I mean they are they are different. You know, you've got sunny California where it's almost always nice, nice breeze. New York goes through harsh winters. Uh, you know, you've got it's just, it's a different lifestyle. You may yeah. have a huge city, they may, both have arts. New York's more theater, LA is more film. Right. They both consider themselves, pr- you know, areas of business and culture, fashion, right. but they are very different. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And John continues walking and, you know, he starts walking up steps again. It's very strange that here he's in the middle of this lobby and there are steps in the lobby, meaning that this floor is multi-layered. also. You know, this, there's I was going to ask you a question. When we see in this room, obviously, this is almost like a separate tier, but it's obviously two stories because we saw where the 
quartets playing. Yes. We saw offices up above. Is up above the 31st floor, or is this a double-story 30th floor? I think that is the 31st floor. That's what I would think. Okay. I think I didn't know that, if there were elevators that open up above the central area, or where do the other elevators go for the 31st floor based on the being a two-story building? I guess it maybe off to the side. I just I've never thought about it before until now. Right. And there's also a few – you see a few groups of stairs. There's – Behind him, there's like a wooden staircase. Also, you know, he's walking mm-hmm. up, you know, uh, gradual stairs. I guess you can say, you know, there, there's no like, there's no guardrails or anything like that. He's just inside inside of this uh, this whole lobby area. There are uh, large steps to walk up to get to either the next flight or the next half flight or something like that. Yeah, you know, almost and, like tiers. So there's yeah. multi- oh, which, by the way, would be very Japanese in the sense of having the, the sense of the different heights. You're, you're not just d- designing left to right, but you're also designing up and down. So you've got right. a third dimension, how you lay out your, your, your feng shui kind of uh, lifestyle. Right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they, they took that into consideration when, when they were trying to figure out how to make this whole set look, because again, mm-hmm. it is a, a Japanese company. So. And that also explains the the water, the waterfall, the greenery, yeah. very much reminiscent of what you would expect in a Japanese garden or backyard or right. uh, decorating. Right. And then John looks up and he sees this this elderly man, elderly. He's probably in his, his 60s or whatever, you know, and he, he starts walking towards him. And then we can hear in the background that uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And then why don't why don't I talk to him right now? Which doesn't make any sense to us. You know, that's that he's having a conversation with a white haired woman, which I'm assuming is his secretary or something like that, who's who's walking around carrying her pocketbook, which is a little strange to be doing at your own office at a party. <laughs> Unless she's mm-hmm. on her way out. You know, she's like, all right, I had enough. <laughs> you know, Ellis just propositioned me. I'm on my way over to him. You know, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> and then. uh we we get to see that Takagi's eyes take in John in an interesting fashion, and he's also Takagi is very comfortable here. He's got his hands in his pockets, you know, and that's pretty much how this this, this minute ends. As the two of them are looking at one another, you know, star-crossed lovers, Takagi mm. and McLean, you know. <laughs> now this actor, by the way, when I saw this movie. I was 18, well, almost 18. It was my senior year graduating high school, saw it in the theater. We talked about that yesterday. But I remembered him because my dad was an avid World War II movie watcher, and one of his all-time favorite World War II movies was Midway. Midway. Midway, of course. And I recognized James Shigeta, if that's how you – I think it's how you pronounce it, James Shigeta. I I thought it was Shigeta, but, you know, Shigeta, Shigeta. But I was like, oh, my God, that's the admiral from Midway. Yes. He played Nagumo. That's right. And I was like, oh, my God. And to see him flawless, by the way, flawless English. We don't hear it in this minute, but we'll talk about it. Just and such a good actor, even though a lot of his stuff was television. Just a really good actor. It's just fun to watch. Yeah, I, I brought up a little trivia thing about him. Uh, I think it, no, I think it was during the first week where he's actually credited in a movie that just came out now in 2022. There is a. Star Trek fan film that he took part in. He passed away in 20, 2014. 
and there's oh, wow. a, a Star Trek fan film that finally got released. It was it was filmed mostly in the in the eighties. So he played an admiral in the Star Trek movie, which I thought was just really cool. The fact that that it was finally released after so many years. He he and George Takai were were, were in the movie together. We're in the I guess you can call it a movie. Yeah, it's a fan film. So yeah, that that is a movie. Yeah. Yeah. So you have anything else you want to say about before we get into the script? No, I think I, I think we covered things. Uh, I was coming at it more uh, cinematically and wanted to hit the thing about his ring and about his his attitude, left coast versus right coast. Yeah, I mean, this is a great um, minute to do that because all very those little things happens. we talked about. <laughs> yeah, but I think all those things again subtly. I think too often movies, especially today, there's so much. Let me tell you what you're supposed to get from this scene. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. This movie and John McTiernan said, I'm going to throw stuff in there that the audience will either pick up on or not. And if you do, you get a much more textual story and you feel how real these people are. Yes. And I love that. It's it's nice, subtle moments like that, but it adds to the to the realism of the characters. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. So the script, as every day I talk about the discre- the discrepancies between the, the, the final shooting script and what they actually give us in the final film. So, first of all, there's a description as McLean gets out of the elevator. It says, McLean moves around the edge of the party, gradually spiraling inward. He grabs a glass of mimosa champagne punch from a passing tray, sips, scowls. Spotting open beers in an ice bucket, he tosses the punch into a potted plant, even burying the plastic glass. Sipping the beer, he moves through the dense party. People he doesn't know throw streamers over him. A woman kisses him. He grins. A man kisses him. McLean says to himself, shaking his head, California. Finally, he <laughs> queries a dancing woman. The music drowns out their words, but she nods, points off in some generic di- direction. McLean heads that way, cuts across a Christmas tree, loses his bearing. He sees Takagi, who has an air of authority. McLean goes up to him. So, first of all, it's a great descriptive use of this entire minute. You know, there's it tells mm-hmm. us so much. Um I mean, obviously, he just says California as opposed to saying Jesus for California, as he said earlier. I like the the added touch with the beer, you know, because that that goes back to what you're saying. If they would have shown that, that would show who he is. You know, he's a guy who doesn't need this, you know, champagne. He wants a beer. So Mm -hmm. what do you know about a mimosa cocktail? Uh, I know that it's something my wife and girls love so much that we have. uh, That's one of the things we look forward to whenever we have family gatherings to wake up that morning. Champagne and orange juice are your key components to a nice mimosa. Right. Okay. So it could be sparkling white wine if it's not true champagne. Very true. So a mimosa cocktail is a a drink composed of champagne or other sparkling wine and chilled citrus juice, usually orange juice. It's used quite often at brunches, weddings, in business meetings, or first-class service on trains or airplanes. Do you know when the National Mimosa Day is? There's an unofficial holiday known as National Mimosa Day. We just had it not that long ago from when we were recording. That is correct. Yeah, it's... Sometime in May, and I can't remember the exact day. But it, it is was just May sixteenth. It was May sixteenth. Just you know, we'll we'll let people a little bit behind the curtain. It's about a week ago, so yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very cool. Do, do you know why it's named mimosa? It's named after the mimosa plant. Right. It's a yellow plant known as the mimosa plant, which is the Acacia gilbata. 
I think that's what it's, how it's pronounced, right? It's sometimes known as champagne orange. It became very popular in the U.S. only late in the 1960s when basically an article came out about the fact that the uh, Queen Elizabeth was drinking a mimosa and it took off from there. Many people think that it's a, a, a variation or it is a variation of the cocktail Buck's Fizz. There are, I was able to find nine different variations of mimosas that people make. Okay. So you have what I just mentioned earlier, the Buck's Fizz, which was invented in 1921 in London, and it uses twice as much champagne as orange juice. Okay. Oh, or, or how everybody in my family makes the mimosa. So I guess, <laughs> I guess you guys are not having mimosas. You're having Buck's Fizz. Yeah. The, the big joke in our, uh, I forgot what the meme or cartoon I think somebody shared, um, showed how to make a mimosa. And you take your glass of champagne, you grab your orange juice, and you tip to where a drop of orange juice goes in the champagne, and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> then you have the poinsettia, which is cranberry juice with champagne. And sometimes instead, I wonder if that's what this is in this movie then, because it was a darkish red drink. It's very that that we'll never know. <laughs> we'll never be able to figure out what type of mimosa he was actually drinking here, because all it says is mimosa champagne uh, punch. Okay, sometimes in the poinsettia they use vodka or Cointreau instead of uh, instead of champagne. Then you have the limosa. All right, there's the limosa. So what do you think? What do you think that one is? I have no idea. I've never heard of a limos. Lemosa. L E M. Oh, lemon. Yeah, there you go. Lemonade with champagne is a limosa. Then you have a vermosa. Is that with vermouth? No, with uh, with apple cider. It was created in huh. Vermont. That's why it's ah, known as okay. the vermosa. <laughs> and All then right. you Got have me. you have apple cider that that's mixed with champagne and brandy. That's called an apple crisp. Mm. Then you have the flirtini, which is <laughs> pineapple juice, champagne, and vodka. Then you have the megamosa, which is... It's all the drinks in one. Yes, basically. It's a megadon. It's champagne and grapefruit juice. That, that doesn't sound very tasty to me. It seems too bitter. That's what I would think. But who knows? I'm sure there are people who like it, so that's fine. Then you have the obviously, if it's the name of a drink, then <laughs> so. yeah, that's true. Well, just because the name of a drink doesn't mean people like it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> odd. You have the sherbet mimosa, which is champagne with a scoop of sherbet instead of orange juice. Huh? Sherbet mimosa. Then you have the lychee rose mimosa, which is champagne with lychee and rose water. And then the final one that I found is a, a, a Hawaiian mimosa, which consists of rum, champagne, pineapple juice, orange juice, and cherry juice. Mm, that sounds awesome. So there you go. Now, now you can go and make that for yourself. Now that, now that you know how to like do it. It sounds like I'm at the beach <laughs> or, or, at, or off the ocean. Or in Hawaii. That many. <laughs> yes. Right. Which would be beach and water. Right. <laughs> We're both right. <laughs> well, that's why it's called the Hawaiian mimosa. Come on. Come on, Alan. Love, love it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so basically the only difference in the novel at this point, you know, when, when John's character, who's known as Joe Leland, 
gets to the Klaxon building. So he, he meets a girl who starts jabbering away at him and trying to pick him up. And then he tells her that he's looking for his daughter, Steffi General. And she points him in a certain direction and he quickly gets lost. And, you know, looks over at where there are a bunch of executives walking around. So that's pretty much the only, the only difference at this point. So every Tuesday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Holiday Edition, where my guests will be able to give a little story about an adventure or misadventure that uh, they might have had that is somewhat holiday related. So why don't you give us a, a, a story, Alan? All right, cool. Well, I will do this uh, for all of the parents out there that uh, your kids drive you nuts. You've got the teenagers or maybe you've got the uh, from as young as the terrible twos, the horrible threes. If you can battle through as a parent and you can get your kids somewhat self-sufficient on their own, they don't come back. It's amazing how much fun you can have with them at the holidays. And one of the things that our family has built a tradition around, and this story relates to actually this past holiday season we always, I always do a treasure hunt for my girls, every single, as, as young as they were, to find, quote, one of their big or the big gift. They don't just get it under the tree. They've got to earn it. And so we send them on a national treasure kind of quest where they've got to, they get a, a little clue. Uh, I purposely uh, m- mock them up to look like old, maybe even sometimes burned or soiled or stained as if they're like some really, really old parchment and clue. That has to that they have to then go on an adventure and they have to either decode clues, uh, unscramble riddles, or try to figure out where. And I've led them initially when they were young throughout the house until they could find where their final gift was hidden. They all had to work together. When they got a little older and could drive, they asked me to go as far away as moving all the clues to all around town. So they would wow. literally drive around Cartersville and Bartow County for a couple of hours looking for these clues. Until they discovered mimosas and and said they don't want to drink and drive, which I don't either. And the clues all got put back around the house again. But this last Christmas, my one daughter and her boyfriend, they've had so much fun all the years. And I still do them. Even this last year, I did one for them. But while they were doing theirs, my daughter and her boyfriend came up with one for me and my wife. Because we've never done it. And oh, wow. we've always been, how much fun would this be to do? our? How, how would we handle uh, the clues? And so they did one for us, and I will just tell you, the coolest thing about how they approached it is not only did they have individual clues, but as you discovered each new clue, it was part of a map that you would have to put all of them together in a jigsaw puzzle to form the map to show a coordinate, and from that coordinate, you'd have to figure out where it was on the property. They literally buried a treasure box for us to dig up with our, quote, gift or prize. It was really cool so you know all those years of agonizing and saying to myself do i really want to go through this again because it takes a lot of time and effort and planning to come up with new clues every year new puzzles new riddles but to have them do it for us i was like i'm already looking forward to the next holiday gathering because they said they want to do it again and of course we do too we've been doing it as our tradition so that's that's a story that um i look forward to the christmas holiday more for hanging out with them than anything else and it was really a lot of fun. Wow. That's great. That's really cool. It, give, it gives us all hope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is hope. <laughs> there is hope that teenagers will turn into normal people. There you go. They can. They, some of them can. Uh, now, my youngest, I'm not so sure right now. She's still in college, but 
we're, we're keeping our fingers, eyes, and toes crossed. All right. Very cool. So you want to tell people once again how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, if you want to follow up on a show that we do very similar to this, at least for our first two seasons, it's called The Wilder Ride, uh, based on movies of Gene Wilder. Uh, me and my uh, co-host, Walt Murray, we did Young Frankenstein Season 1, one minute of the movie at a time. We followed up with Blazing Saddles. And then uh, when this whole worldwide event went on, we found it was easier to shift to a weekly guest-driven program where we talked to a guest about a, who was in, we thought, a particularly fascinating field or career. And then we would add what we're watching, what we're reading, what we're listening to, some other funny segments, but all basically more of a talk show. Still a lot of fun and uh, timely because you can still learn a lot about those cool people by exploring. Just go visit the WilderRide.com website or search for The Wilder Ride wherever you find your podcasts. Cool. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcast you're using to listen to this show. Finding me is also very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on my website, you can find me on Facebook, and you can find me on Twitter. So until tomorrow, yippee ki yay! Yippee ki yay!